What's up with all the churn in Seattle media, or is it just in Seattle? You know, LPTV has secretly been a pretty profitable business, and we were surprised at how it got to be that way. And BuzzFeed's IPO is a disaster. Don't hear about disasters much with IPO, but BuzzFeed's was. So good morning. Welcome to Media Insultant. This is where we share our opinions and comments. Uh, We being myself, I'm Jackson Weaver here in Seattle. And the other we is Keith Samuels, who's in Southern California. We aren't media consultants. We don't consult anybody, but we are media insultants. So welcome to the Thursday, December 9th episode of Media Insultant. Keith, a couple of months ago, I worked with a guy by the name of Craig Rourke. And while the deal we worked on was radio, he spent most of his time and efforts in the LPTV field. Uh, That's low-power TV, for those who don't know. There are about 2,000 of them scattered all over the country. You have some there in L.A., and I'm sure you've watched them all, correct? No. Sorry. All right. Moving on. (laughs) And we'll find out some reasons. I'm a full-power guy. Jackson, I, you know, that low power stuff, you know, I'm, I'm all about full power. Mount Wilson, 50,000 watt, you know, yeah, that's, that's what I'm all about. Well, there has been a notable amount of trading in these licenses, which I wondered about. How do they ever make any money? I wanted to know what they are programming and how they make money. And it's kind of an interesting story. So we did an interview with Craig, and here's a quick excerpt from that interview. You bring up a, a real interesting point because it's been my perception that this that LPTV is kind of a subculture in the media business, and uh, there's not much talk about local sales or programming, and so you know, and years ago I put a full power television station on the air in Salt Lake City, and I know how much of how much work and hassle that was. So then the question comes back: How are these stations being programmed? It's a, it's no cheaper to program these stations than it is to program a full-power station, particularly if you're originating programming, news or whatever it is. So what are these stations programming? Well, that's the thing. Um, the, the Houston station that I sold, they had 10 digital channels. They were leasing nine of those digital channels for anywhere from between uh, $1,500 a month to $5,000 a month, depending on who, what, what they could get. Okay. They were bringing in, they were bringing in $40,000 a month in revenue against $15,000 a month in expenses. The expenses were their, their antenna lease, you know, the tower lease for their antenna. Power. And the studio lease and the power. And they had one guy. Now, most of these low-power television stations don't even have a staff. You can operate it from your computer in your bedroom. Right, right. And there are program, there are networks or or or, or program. Uh, you become an affiliate with uh, with different uh, networks, and they allow you certain amount of minutes per hour to sell advertising, and you can do that. But then your your expenses go up because then you've got to hire a unless you're out there doing it yourself, you got to hire a salesperson to go out and bang on doors 
you're paying them commission and yeah and you got to pay for production and all of that all you got to pay for production uh, you know in in this day and age most everybody that's advertising on, on television already has a an ad in the can well but but, but basically what you're saying is is that that uh, he, that leasing out these uh, digital sub channels and and how many digital sub channels uh, will the current digital bandwidth support? Is it eight or ten? Houston had ten. Uh, Seattle had eight of them. And and uh, basically, what you do is one of them, the main channel, uh, the dot one channel, is usually a high definition, and you put your best programming on there if it does support high definition. And then the um, the rest of the channels are in standard mode. So when a guy like Phil Falcone's Sovereign Holding, who's one of the players in your, in the in the business, buys an LP station, an LP TV station in Atlanta, and pays more than five million dollars for it, it's because he's subdividing up those sub channels and leasing them out. He's not creating any of his own original programming per se, is he, or could he be? <clears throat> he could be. And I don't know what his his final plan is or his major plan is. Right now, he's just in the accumulation mode of accumulating these uh, television stations in major markets. He may have some sort of programming deal that he wants to put together to string across the country. I don't know. Basically, what he's doing is uh, he's buying stations in viable markets with a lot of uh, digital ch uh, channel power and trying to monetize it. So we'll post the full interview in the near future, Keith, so we can learn more about this little segment of the local media business. But kind of interesting, you know, that there are people who pay money to have programs on the air that I don't think anybody watches. Yeah, but I guess maybe maybe don't check. <laughs> don't ask. Don't look <laughs> behind the curtain. But we've got clearance. We've got station clearance. It's like the old network radio play where you know you get these uh, you know these affiliates in all of these cities but do they have any listeners do they have any viewers in this case apparently uh, you know the, the the content guys want distribution and and this is one way to get it you can clear a market you can be in LA you can be in Seattle you can be in Spokane wherever uh, on these low power television stations and that counts I guess so. I guess so. You know, it's uh, anyway, Craig, Craig, we got the full interview with him, which we'll post later that goes more in depth for those who have an interest in LPTV. But yep. let's but, move but on. Craig's, I got this, Craig's got this knocked. He's got this market knocked and he's doing great in it. So I want to tell a little bit of a story. You know, at, at one time, radio and TV was a really well paid and prestigious profession, right? I mean, even, you know, working in college for radio and TV, uh, I, I, part-time, I made over hundred grand a year by in today's money. So it was a very lucrative business, and I wasn't full-time. So speed up to today. I was at a dinner the other night, and the conversation turned around a guy by the name of John Curley. John Curley hosted King Television's Evening Magazine in Prime Access for decades. Prime Access is 730 to 8 in this market. And... He hosted that program for years, but he left television a couple of years ago and now hosts an afternoon show on Cairo FM, which is news talk station, Bonneville. Cairo FM is a leading station, and I'd argue John does a fabulous job. He's very entertaining. 
Okay. So we're talking about this with this. I'm talking about this with the early 30s. So what's that? A Gen Xer, and we're talking about uh, John Curley because he'd seen him on television, grew up with him, that kind of thing. He said, and I told him, well, he's working at this radio station. He's doing afternoons, and the guy turns to me and he says, "Can you make a living doing that?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know how far have we fallen? <laughs> <laughs> And there's always churn in any market, but boy, lately it seems here in Seattle, it's gotten ridiculous. In the last 30 days, I count at least a dozen major talent or salespeople leaving the market for all kinds of reasons. Retiring, one said she wanted to leave because she didn't want to have to deal with corporate bullshit. Those are her, her words. Uh, and she worked for a Fox affiliate owned by Fox. So goes to make sense. But in a lot of cases, it's wages. You know, it's is this a sign of a mature industry? You know, the wages just keep going down because people still want to be disc jockeys or they still want to be on television. Yes, it's an industry in distress in terms of uh, radio. T traditional media is in distress to a, to a large degree, and that's putting a lot of pressure on managers to get their people to perform. And unfortunately, they have to get them to perform for less money or no more money, you know, where you used to have annual raises if the stations were doing well or the, you got ad dollars, you know, coming in, growing, you could get more commission. You know, now it's, it's a, you're, you're just, you've, you've gone through COVID where you lost everything, you know, all your billing, all your accounts went sideways, business barely hung in there. This, the radio and television companies lost their ass last year and now we're coming out of it. So you have this, you have this combination of this COVID effect, which is, wow, that was tough, and we're not back where we were yet, so I can't pay you what I used to, or I can't, don't even think about getting a raise, and so, you know, that's stressful. The other part is you have, under stress, people become more of who they are, and how they manage, and how they relate to people, and that's not always a pretty sight. So, you have a lot of people, not only in Seattle, but everywhere in every business, going, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I don't have to. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go do my thing, or whatever. So, it's now become this great reset moment for people analyzing their job. And I think it's also become a great reset moment for management to go, you know what? We really don't need you anymore. So if you want to leave, <laughs> yeah, okay, best of luck to you. Have fun. You know, it was great. Here's your last check. You know, managers are going, I don't need all these people. And by the way, they were borderline performers anyway. I got to worry about my top performers because without them, I'm never going to get back what I lost during COVID. And then you just have people that just maybe weren't really into that job anyway. So I'm going to go do my thing. And, and it's probably a good time for them to go do that. Now, well, I don't, it, and, I, it gets, I, and it gets worse at newspapers. So if you think it's bad at television and radio, try newspaper. Well, so. and I think, I, I, I think your point is right. I think the, the thing that we're also seeing, though, is we are seeing really talented people walk out of the business. You know, there's one guy who had hosted a, a morning show at a talk station for years. He's leaving to do a podcast. You know, there are just a lot of good people who are leaving the business. And some of it may be over pay, some of it may be over lifestyle. But at the end of the day, it really leaves kind of a vacuum. It yeah. really does. Yeah. Well, and I think look at the lifestyle too, the lifestyle change. We've gone through a year and a half now, two years of people working remotely. And when you work remotely, you lose your connection to the organization and to the people. Even though you could Zoom your ass off all day long, you're still not connected. 
you end up losing that kind of relationship with people. You know, management is about you know getting people to perform to their best abilities and, and growing them. And you can't do that via Zoom, and you can't do that at home in your closet. You've got you know you've got to engage with people. So I think part of this reset is due to the fact that we just haven't been around each other. You know, we haven't been connected to each other. Yeah, and so, yeah. so if I'm going, you know, I, why am I doing this stupid show? I'm going to do my own show. I'm not going to have a program director. That's the great thing about podcasting, as you and I have discovered and we've proven, is that it's, it's, <laughs> it's nirvana. It's heaven for radio personalities who inherently hate to be managed. They inherently loathe program directors telling them what to do. They loathe music directors telling them what records to play. Their talent, they are great. No one's going to tell me what to do. Now the chance is you don't have to go do your happy talk podcast, dude. And you don't. And you won't have to. You won't have me up your. You know what? All day long trying to help you be a better performer. You can go be a, a POS on your podcast. Have fun. So we have all these. We're spinning off all these radio personalities that 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 really needed management that don't want management. Now they're going to go have a podcast and they're going to suck. Well, and the next step is going to be <laughs> is going to be artificial intelligence replacing disc jockeys. But that's another discussion. We'll get to. Yeah, that. I mean, uh, Del Caliano's column back on Monday was all about that. That, that these computers now can recreate your personality's voice. Yeah, so long, Jackson. I don't need you. I got. I, I've recorded enough of your voice that the computer's going to take it from there. See ya. <laughs> oh no, well, you can I'm do that not- to me. Oh no. <laughs> Or, yes, I can. The AI works both ways, Keith. Well, our final note here is uh, BuzzFeed had an IPO this week that uh, could only be called a disaster. They merged with a SPAC, which mm-hmm. is a special purpose acquisition company. And I don't want to have to get into the into the needles of the, uh, the hasteed of that. But basically, 94% of their investors pulled out of their investment when it was announced that the SPAC would take $200 million, $210 million and put it into BuzzFeed. Well, by the time they got done, they only had $16 million. Oops. And I think this is an example of how tough it is for any ad-supported media, even digital, in this, in this environment where Facebook and Google suck up 80 to 85% of that local advertising revenue. I agree, and, and and clearly those investors went, whoa, maybe we're not doing that one. Um, so that SPAC almost went away completely. But my question for you is, how does how is this BuzzFeed business model any different than, than radio? That's one of the really interesting things is they paint a picture. Taking the $16 million, they say they're going to develop multiple revenue streams. Advertising, direct-to-consumer, events. Hello, what does it sound like? Radio. It sounds like a radio station. Radio station, right. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how that, uh, how that develops. But, you know, SPACs have been considered to be your salvation for a lot of companies, and they probably are until your investors, which they have the right to do. It's one of the structural things about a SPAC yeah. is the investor can say, uh, I'm out of here. Don't count on me to be writing a check. All right, we need to shut it down, Keith. Uh, but before we go, you're wearing a Christmas tie, so that's your that's promo right. cue. Yes, yes. Um, you know, c- coming up next. Uh, let's see, coming up on the 21st. It's our it's our holiday tease as uh, as we flip format to to uh, Christmas, just like all your favorite radio stations have done, and and we uh, get to host the uh, the incomparable, highly talented, very entertaining uh, Tony Bolin. 
uh, our old Seattle radio pal, who happens to be um, uh, our poet laureate here at Media Insultant. Tony's the only poet in alive in the world who writes specific Christmas poems and messages for people in media. And, right. Right. and, and I guarantee you, you will laugh, you will cry. It is so much better than cats, it's not even funny. I mean, it's, it, it's, <laughs> he's always got something brilliant to share with us. And his style of, of reading is mesmerizing. And it's, it's an annual event at Media Insultant that you don't want to miss. December 21st. And uh, with that note, Keith, uh, I just want to remind people that this program, Media Insultant, is a production of In-Town Media with Interim Contract Management for Radio. We do this each Tuesday and Thursday. So, Keith, until next Tuesday, what can I say? But go have a good weekend. And happy holidays.